Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and there's Jerry, and there's some papers in front of me, and an Ikea lamp, and a big old microphone, and it's all pressing in on me really hard. <laughs> so that means that this is Stuff You Should Know. That means Josh is going on vacation soon. When the microphone is the size of a watermelon, <laughs> it's it does, hitting you in the face. Yeah, I'm like, it doesn't normally abrade my chin. It yeah. is today. So, yeah. Chuck. Josh. How you doing? I'm great. You got some fingerprints there? Let me see you. I do. Um, I have four on my fingers and one each on each thumb. Yeah. Oh, you're one of those guys, huh? Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, let me tell you a little story about where your little fingerprints came from. Okay. Back when Chuck, little Chuck, mm-hmm. was just a 10-week-old fetus. Okay, so 1970. Yeah, it's a certain point in 1970. Well, if I was born in March of 71, then that would go back, just go back nine months from there. Okay. Whatever that is. Uh, 1970. Yeah. So your your uh, little basal cell layer uh-huh. of your skin, you got three. You got the uh, epidermis, the outer layer, mm-hmm. the basal layer, which yeah. is in between, that's like the, where all the new skin cells are produced. Then there's a dermis below that. Those are your three layers. Yep. About that time, your little basal layer started going haywire, producing skin cells at a much faster rate than your epidermis and your dermis, which meant that your basal layer was growing up against your epidermis and your dermis. Yeah, squishing together. Yeah. And so when this would happen, when it would grow up against, say, your your epidermis, Mm -hmm. it would create a point of contact, and that point of contact would create enough pressure so that your basal layer would buckle a little bit. Mm -hmm. And what's weird about that was that your little basal layer buckled in what appear to be little patterns, Mm -hmm. little whirls, little swoops, (laughs) little circles. (laughs) But what's neat, Chuck, is at this point, within the next six weeks after it started, you had fingerprints that are going to stay the same for the rest of your life, just beneath your epidermis. Yeah, the tiny little Chuck fingers are now sort of tiny little man fingers, but they are the same <laughs> fingerprints throughout my entire life. That's right. And you can, it's true, damage your fingerprints. Some people have purposely, which we'll talk about. Yeah. But for the most part, since it's your basal layer, that's where the the actual fingerprint is. Uh-huh. Even if you cut your epidermis, which happens, your skin will grow back and your basal layer will remain the same. Your fingerprints will remain the same. That's a great way to end this. Good night. <laughs> uh, that was a great little story. Thanks. And uh, I would grow up to be a sociopath podcaster <laughs> with those very same fingerprints. I don't think you're sociopathic. I'm just kidding. Um, so we're talking fingerprints, and you mentioned the little ridges, little uh, whorls, and we're not making these words up. W-H-O-R-L-S is actually what it's called. Right. Whirls, valleys, and... Uh, loops. Loops. Arches. Arches. Yeah. Those are the three. I don't know where you got valleys. Um, well, it's a in the pattern, but that's not a part of the official fingerprint. <laughs> are you adding to the fingerprint classification? No, no, no. No, that's not a part of the classification. Oh, okay. Um, but each are unique, and we all know this because, you know, that's why they use fingerprinting as one of the biometric uh, sciences to classify people and identify people. Right. Um there's a one in 64 billion chance that your finger, fingerprint will match 
exactly was someone else's. So get this. Yeah. Sir Francis Galton was the one who said that. Yeah. And he was saying that through his classification system, yeah. legally speaking, as far as what would be admissible in court probably, yeah. there would be a 1 in 64 chance of matching people's fingerprints up. He also One thought, in 64 billion? Right. Okay. He also thought that if you went down on more of a, uh, a more granular level uh-huh. and looked at people's fingerprints, there were probably a better chance that people would have fingerprints who matched. Oh, really? And if you take Galton's kind of liberal view of matching fingerprints and you have a one in 64 billion chance of having matching fingerprints with somebody, yeah. just looking, like that's somebody just looking at the, the pattern. Sure. Um, since about a hundred billion people have lived in the history of humanity, yeah, that means that there's at least one pair of people who've ever lived who had the same fingerprints. Wow! And that's if you subscribe to his numbers. Yeah, from eighteen whatever, which may be overestimating it. Are we? Our fingerprints may be slightly more similar than you think. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, well, they are more unique than DNA because we all know, if you listen to the Twins podcast, that twins can share a lot of DNA, mm-hmm. but they can't share fingerprints. No, it's different. It's very different. Um, all right, so let's get into this. Fingerprints um, are actually made of ridges called friction ridges, Yeah, and they have little pores underneath them, and it's the pores where you leak like sweat and oils, and that's actually what the, the mark you are leaving as a fingerprint is coming up through those pores at those uh, friction ridges. Yeah, you're not leaving skin behind. No, that's You're just gross. leaving a little bit of uh, sebum. <laughs> that's right. And they're a really popular way of, uh, probably the most popular biometric right now because everyone's leaving fingerprints. Everyone's got fingers. Well, not everyone. <laughs> they're easy to classify. They're easy to sort. Yeah. Um, they do mention this article that like you could probably do the same thing with like toe prints, but um, no one wants to ask all these criminals to take off their shoes and socks and right. leave toe prints. Especially not if they just defecated in the backseat of the police cruiser. <laughs> Plus, you're more likely, and they didn't even mention this in the article, you're more likely to leave a fingerprint than a toe print. Sure. They don't even put that in here. Right. A lot of people I thought that shoes. was the most obvious. Uh, yeah. You know? Yeah. You're not going to commit a crime barefoot. And some people do, but Unless it's necessary. Still, right. Yeah. <laughs> but nowadays, it's virtually too late because we've amassed such a uh, um, database yeah. of fingerprints that like a, a bare footprint would be almost useless unless you had the person, the suspect. What well, was it, about one in every six people mm-hmm. have their fingerprints on record? Yeah, and uh, that doesn't mean that one in every six people have been charged with the crime. No. But there's a lot of uh, ways that fingerprints make it into the fingerprint database, IAFIS. Uh, yeah, what... People use them as uh, signature verifications these days. Yeah, as um, to identify victims, um, job applications sometimes. Yeah, uh, first time mine, codes. mine made it in because my dad took me to the public library to have me fingerprinted as a child. Really? Yeah. It's just uh, so now that like we have your kid on file in case he ever goes missing. Yep. After that whole Adam Walsh thing. Oh sure. That was it. Like anything anybody said, like this could help if your kid is kidnapped or yeah, lost yeah. or whatever. Parents just did it in the early eighties. <laughs> my parents did. No, no, I don't think I'm on file anywhere. Really? With my fingerprints. That's good. Is it? I guess so. Sure, ma'am. Your fingerprints are your own. Yeah, maybe so. Um, and that is one in six people. And apparently the iPhone 5S, the rumor is, mm-hmm. is it is going to have fingerprint authentication uh, instead of your passcode. Wow, that's pretty neat. 
We'll see. That's the rumor. We used to have laptops here that had that. Well, yeah, you did. I never used mine. Yeah, I did. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, thumbprint, right? Uh, whatever you wanted. I think it was. Oh, really? Either your, your thumb, your forefinger, or your uh, middle finger. I would have done my big toe. Right. <laughs> it would have been like much shoes. What is this? <laughs> Isn't it obvious? Um, there's, I guess, uh, cars. Some cars now have yeah. biometric. Um, I guess ignitions. Yeah, and we might as well talk about why that stinks. Yeah, because in Malaysia? <laughs> yeah, in Malaysia, they cut off a guy's finger to get into his Mercedes, and that is a, a worry for police as fingerprinting becomes more and more used as authentication uh, that people are going to start cutting fingers off to do so. Right. Did you say authentication? Uh, authentication? Authentication. Authentication? What I say? <laughs> you added another syllable. Oh, boy. So... Hey, don't get on me about uh, words. Uh, yeah, no, I can't. Okay. Um, There's one that I won't bring up. What? The deletrius deleterious. I just say it in my own way. <laughs> you made up a word. No, deleterious. This is not a word. It, it is. You're deleting. It's, it deletes things. It's negative. All right. So, um, sn- it, sniff it, you off this case. <laughs> uh so the biometric companies who said, well, we can't have our customers' fingers being cut off, yeah. said, well, no, we'll just add a little something that detects blood flow. So now our customers are just kidnapped rather than have their fingers cut off. Or that the kidnapper doesn't know this and you you still right. have your car, but you're out of finger. Right. You should probably put like that kind of thing on ads on buses. Yeah, or put it on your car. Like, Oh yeah, car will not start if finger is detached. Yeah, because think about it. that could be even worse if their fing- if the finger doesn't work. They're gonna like, oh, maybe it's his other finger. And they just <laughs> right. keep cutting fingers off, and you're like, no, it did- needs a pulse. Right. All right. So we talked about the um, friction ridges. Yeah, they're called friction ridges. Remember, because they buck up, buckle up under the pressure yeah. of the friction up against the dermis. Yeah, the they can't take the pressure. No, so it buckles. Um, but the, the it forms a specific pattern, and this is what. You know, the arrangement, shape, and size, and number of lines is what they're looking for when they're identifying and comparing these things. Yep. And there's three different uh, patterns. There can be, uh, there's loops, uh, begins on one side, curves up and around, and exits the other. Yeah, look at your fingers while we describe this. Uh, there are radial loops and ulnar loops. Um, radial slope toward the thumb, ulnar toward the little finger. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's whorls. kind of intuitive to tell which way the, the slope is going. Oh, yeah? Just... Yeah, because technically you could be like, well, no, I think it's depends on which way you turn your head. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the aforementioned whorls uh, are circular or spiral in nature, and arches slope up and then down, like, and they're described here as uh, narrow mountains. Yeah, it just goes. <laughs> I think that summed it up. Yeah. So those are the uh, identifying marks on your fingers um, that you can see with the naked eye, and then if you're in law enforcement. They're going to be also analyzing something called uh, minutia, which you can't see with the naked eye. No, and these are basically like further characteristics of the loops and whorls and arches. So you might you might have a spur, which yeah. is a, another um, like whorl that comes off of a larger whorl, um, or there's an abrupt end to a ridge, or there's bifurcation or islands. It's like a whorl within a whorl. Yeah. Um, there's deltas, which are like ridges that form like Y patterns. Just little stuff like that. And yeah. they all form this classification system that the cops rely on when they fingerprint you. And the the science, the forensic science of fingerprinting is called dactyloscopy. That's right. Like pterodactyl. Exactly. Um, and 
I guess there are probably some places still that do it the old-fashioned way um, and don't have digital scanning fingerprinting methods. Montana. <laughs> Hello, Montana. Um, they would do it like you've seen it on countless TV shows and movies. They would clean your hand off, dry it off with alcohol. Yeah, they want to get all the sebum off. Get all the sebum off. Roll the fingertip. Um, and then I usually say left to right, but I imagine you could do it either way. To get the ink on the finger, yep. um, make sure it's fully covered. Then you roll onto the card uh, from fingernail to fingernail from one side to the other. Mm-hmm. And that is called a rolled fingerprint. Yep. And you do this with all eight fingers yep. and two thumbs. Uh-huh. And uh, then you've got your set of rolled prints. Then they take your hands and cover all your fingers with the ink. Yeah. And then just have you press it down flat at the bottom of this fingerprint card. Yeah. And uh, those are that's a set of flat prints, which are used apparently to um, verify the uh, um, the rolled. Yeah, exactly. Just so they have two sets, basically. Yeah. Um, if you live in the modern uh, world and you live in a large city, you're probably going to have digital scanners doing the same thing. Um, it's an optical scanner that basically you put your fingers on there, and it through magic converts that into digital data patterns. Right. And then they have programs that map those points, and basically it's sort of like you see in the movies. Yeah. And what's neat about the uh, optical scanner is the picture that it makes is the inverse, lighting-wise. Yeah, 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 that makes sense. So you're... uh, It's a negative image. Right. The the worlds and everything have more light bounce off of them, so they tend to be lighter. Right. Um, whereas like the valleys and everything in between the friction ridges are darker. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's more accurate than rolled prints. I might be wrong. Uh, you're probably right, but from what I've read. Sure. Yeah. Because, you know, when someone's, like, you ever seen First Blood? No. Yeah, you have. Stallone? First Blood, oh, I the thought first you Rambo meant the, uh, the vampire show. No, no, that's True Blood. Oh, okay. First Blood, the Rambo, first sure, Rambo. Sure, yeah. Yeah, remember when he was... Being uh, difficult when they were booking him and he mm-hmm. wasn't doing the fingerprinting right. Right. They couldn't get good prints. No. Because Rambo wouldn't stand for it. No, he doesn't take any crap. All right. There's two types of prints, visible prints that we talked of. Um, oh, actually, we didn't talk about them. They're, they're if you actually leave an indention in something. A visible print? Yeah, like dirt or, or clay or something. Blood or something like that. Blood, that'd be a good example. It's visible. You can look and say, there's a fingerprint. Exactly. There's also latent prints, which we leave everywhere all the time. Yeah. Um, and those are the ones that are just made with the sebum coming out of our fingers, the pores on our friction ridges. Yeah. And uh, those are typically not necessarily naked to the, the human eye. Like if you look at like yeah. s- stainless steel, you'll probably see some prints. Sure. Or clear think, glass, maybe. Right. But those are technically latent prints. Um, they also can be... Um, N- invisible to the naked eye, and so they have to be um, dusted. Yeah, and they actually do dust with mm-hmm. a little brush. Um, I looked up the dusting powder, fingerprinting powder, and apparently most of it these days is proprietary, so like you don't know exactly what's in it. Really? I just guess like carbon. Well, who knows? Maybe. I know. You should formulate your own Josh's uh, fingerprinting powder, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Market it to some local law enforcement agencies. Yeah. Like. I'll sell it like snake oil or something like that. Yeah. Uncle Pappy's patented A1 <laughs> blue ribbon fingerprinting, fingerprinting powder. powder. Uh, so they lift the prints, um, these latent prints, and those are the, uh, obviously the prints, too, that you see uh, criminals in TV shows and movies always trying to wipe off with a hanky. Right. 
very wisely. Yeah. I wonder if the, what the if that really works. You want to get into that? Do you know? Yes, it should. Okay, it should work. From what I understand, I read this one paper that was basically like, we should not be using fingerprints in court any longer. Oh, really? That, first of all, we have DNA now, and DNA is objective. Sure. It's like this protein sequence is the same as this protein sequence. Right. Right? With fingerprinting, it is subjective. Even though there's Still? an extensive classification system, it's, I think that this print matches up to this print. There's not, it's not quantitative. Or if it is, it's not enough, quantitative enough. Also, there's so much faith placed by the public in fingerprint analysis yeah. that fingerprinting, uh, people who, who do this work frequently are matching stuff like they're, they're taking a great rolled print. Yeah. And comparing it to like just the worst smudge print on the planet where, right. you know, you can be like, I don't get that because I'm not a dactyloscopist. Right. But I'm sure that somebody who, who is that could, could figure this out. And supposedly that's a lot of faith that we're placing into people. And that now that DNA evidence is becoming more and more, um, available and prevalent and widespread. Right. It's starting to show like, um, fingerprinting's actually probably put a lot of innocent people behind bars. And we really shouldn't rely on it anymore. Because even right. even if you have a great print that you took, a latent print. And a great dactylocopus. Right. Yeah. And there are plenty. Sure. Like they're not shysters or frauds or crooks. Because no, of course not. Even within their profession, a lot of them are like, there's a lot of recklessness going on here. Yeah. Um, th- that you're never going to have a really great latent print. It's never going to be good. And so you're working from a deficit every time. Right. And you're also comparing it to a rolled print. And a rolled print is also not the same as another rolled print made right after. Like you can take somebody's finger and roll it from fingernail to fingernail, pick it up, put it on the next little box, roll the same finger from fingernail to fingernail, and you're going to have basically two different prints. Yeah. So that's in the olden days before they had the digital scanning, though. Right. But. But those are still a lot of the ones on file, I imagine. Yes. And I feel like we're probably still dealing with the same deficits. The paper I read was from like 2005 or seven. So right. it's not like it was old and they're, they're saying like, this is still going on yeah, even yeah. with the advent of digital scanning. Plus I think, you know, as well as I do when you're in court and the attorney yells at the top of his lungs, his fingerprints were found all over the murder scene. Right. You're, you're, you're toast. Well, yeah. And I think that a lot of um, perpetrators too think that. Yeah. Like if they have your prints, well, you're dead. That's it. And right. like they have you dead to rights. So you might as well confess. And I'm sure it's a great tool for confessing. Yeah. I wonder if DNA thwarts. I wonder if anything like that actually thwarts people from committing crimes. You know, I wonder if anyone ever stops and goes, boy, now with DNA. I would think I so. I can't just wipe down a crime scene. Right. Like yeah. If I drop a hair on the carpet, then I could be. You know, nabbed. Sure, I would think that's think? a pretty good deterrent. Yeah, I just don't know in the criminal mind how how that operates. I'm sure it makes them operate a lot less sloppy than yeah. it used to. You know, that's a good point. Yeah. All right, let's talk a little bit about the history because it's pretty interesting. I think. Yeah. Um, in ancient Babylon, they actually uh, pressed fingertips and clay to, for some business transactions. Yeah, pretty advanced. I mean, thousands of years ago, people already understood like if fingertips are unique, and of course, the Chinese were always ahead of the game on everything, it seemed like. Mm-hmm. They actually used ink on paper for business transactions and to help identify their kids. Like my dad. Yeah, I yeah. thought it was kind of weird, though. Can you not identify your child? 
Oh, well, if they grow up, if they're kidnapped and taken to another village. I guess so. And they grow up in return to claim a birthright. Yeah, that's a good point. Sure. <laughs> um, it wasn't until uh, they didn't use them for identifying criminals until the 19th century. And there's a series of events that sort of just not necessarily connected, happen one after the other to mm-hmm. sort of advance it. So I'm right. at the same time. Uh, the first in 1858 was a, a guy named Sir William Herschel, an Englishman, who was uh, chief magistrate of the Hooghly district in India. And he started recording fingerprints uh, when signing documents. So that's kind of the first thing. Right. Then you mentioned Henry Falds. He came around next, Scottish doctor. Yeah, he was, um, I guess he got into Japanese pottery and noticed like the fingerprints left behind by the artists. Yeah. And um, he started getting into fingerprinting. So he wanted to create a classification system and said, well, I'm not going to do it myself. I'm cousins to Charles Darwin. I'll just ask him to do it. He's pretty good at that. Yeah, and Darwin said, I'm kind of busy, but I have another cousin. Yeah. And his name is Sir Francis Galton, and he's going to be into this because oh. Galton, he's a eugenicist. I wonder if uh, Darwin was like, oh, God, it's, you know. Another classification cousin system. Cousin Henry again. Right. I'll just pass him off to cousin, <laughs> cousin Frank. Colton. Yeah, cousin yeah. Frank. So, like you said, he was a eugenicist. Um, and he got, I, th- I feel like we've talked about him before. Did yeah. he? He pops up here or there. Okay. He was uh, pretty big in, um, in this era. Yeah, he was the first dude to really start kind of collecting biometric information on people. Um, not just fingerprints, all kinds of stuff. Right. And being a eugenicist, he decided that there was a perfect yeah. human and we should selectively breed ourselves. That's right. Yeah. Uh, we're not promoting his work, by the way. Um, Although in 1892, he wrote a book called Fingerprints. Yeah. And he outlined his system. It's the first time it had ever been done. And it was based on the system we know today, arches, loops, and whorls. Uh, and then in France, a guy named Alphonse Bertillon. No, he's made maybe four appearances in our yeah. podcast before. I knew I knew that name. Um, he was, at the same time, uh, using his own system called uh, Bert- Bertillonage. And uh, anthropometry is basically what he was doing. Yeah, because remember, he was, like, working in the Paris police department. Yeah. And, like, he saw the same criminals come and go, but they'd use aliases. So he devised a system of, like, measuring their face and head and their yeah, ears yeah. and all that stuff. Police sketches, he was definitely in that one. Yeah, definitely. Um, and he, one of them also was fingerprinting, too. But his, his system was extremely exhaustive, even though it was adopted by yeah. the London police, I believe. It was just a, it was really time-consuming. Sure. But he was advancing the, the art. Like eight of them at once. Yeah. Uh, and then about the same time in Argentina, um, a police officer named Juan, uh, you want to try that? Vucetich? That sounds good. <laughs> Doesn't sound Argentinian. But um, in 1892, he actually used fingerprinting. This is in 1892. Yeah. In a case to convict a mother who had killed her two kids when, in fact, she was saying it was her, her boyfriend. Yeah. He actually matched fingerprints, and she confessed. And like you had your first case right there, it actually being used in to uh, to convict a criminal. Yeah, that was the first time it ever happened, 1892 in uh, Buenos Aires. Um, I think uh, what the following year. Yeah, 1893. A guy named Sir Edward Henry. He was the commissioner of the police department. He became interested in in using fingerprinting to fight crime. Sure. Um, and he came up with a classification system that further extended. Uh, Galton's. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he came up with, I believe, the minutia 
and um, I guess the the kind of the comparable points that we rely on still today. It's called the Henry classification system, and when you see on TV. Um, you know, a, a fingerprint fed into a, a computer and, like, it flashes through for yeah. some reason all of the <laughs> fingerprints that it's um, matching them against. Uh-huh. That is using the Henry classification system that this guy created in 1893. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, in 1901, Scotland Yard established the Fingerprint Bureau, its first one, and then they used them as evidence the following year for the first time. Yeah. And then the year after that in New York. They started using it in state prisons, and then the FBI said, it's not a bad idea. Let's get on board. Exactly. So everybody's getting on board. The Henry system like really allowed a, a system of classification that could be used anywhere um, to be devised. Yeah. And it was adopted. The problem was it was extremely time-consuming, too. Yeah, you're matching paper to paper, basically. You, and you're doing it with a magnifying glass. Yeah. Uh, that The computer systems that we see today... Uh, on TV, those are going through, you know, millions, say, um, possible matches. Even if you had, like, a thousand, yeah. how many detectives would it take to just look through a set of prints, your control <laughs> prints, you imagine? and then, the, you know, another print Yeah, to find a, a, a killer or something like that from a latent print? Yeah, they call it minutia for a reason. Exactly. I imagine those guys went kind of nuts. Yeah. Um. And that's if they even had a fingerprint on file. Like they were counting on someone having, because at the time, you know, it was only criminals had fingerprints. Right. Well, they probably were like, this looks like a man's thumbprint. Yeah. Let's go through all the thumbprints of the men we have on file yeah. and see if we can catch somebody. Who's thummy? It was much better if, like, you could catch a suspect, yeah. print them, and then compare it. But that's, you know, not necessarily what they were doing. Luckily, we created computers to be our mindless slaves at this kind of stuff, <laughs> and starting around the 70s. Yeah, and Japan was, um, their national police agency was the first one to use this kind of automation in the 1980s, and uh, they created the Automated Fingerprint Identification Systems, APHIS. It, its slogan was, warm, fuzzy happiness. <laughs> That's what it says in quotes underneath. <laughs> the uh, automated fingerprinting concern. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, so they used it in the U.S. Um, to, to great effect, although the problem was it wasn't integrated. Like, you know, they didn't share information between agencies or between districts of, of law enforcement. So you're kind of just stuck with whoever you had on file. Right. Even, like, even though it was computerized. A, uh, yeah, a particular police department, maybe even a statewide police department. Yeah, if you're lucky. Could buy APHIS, an APHIS system. Yeah. But, like, that was your APHIS system. Fortunately, the FBI said, hey, there's this awesome thing called the Internet. Yeah. I, should, I say fortunately. If you're a criminal, not necessarily fortunately, or you're into privacy and all that. Yeah. Um, but they, the FBI in, I think, um, 1999 created the integrated APHIS, um, which basically plugged all of these databases together. Yeah. And created one huge database that the FBI maintains. It screwed up their acronym, though. It, IAFIS? Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, now there's one in six Americans who has their fingerprints on file in IAFIS. Yeah, and I think uh, they say it takes a, about 30 minutes, as little as 30 minutes, to scan against everyone in the entire country at this point. Right. Including mugshots, criminal histories, 47 million people on record. Yeah. That's not bad. Including you, my friend. Yeah. So you better keep that hanky on you at all times. <laughs> wipe down my prints. <laughs> wipe down your prints. I could also just stay on the straight and narrow. Oh, yeah, that's true. 
Although I do wipe my prints down just to be sure. Sure. Uh, yeah. Should we talk a little bit about other biometrics, even though we've covered some of this stuff? If you want. Eye scans. Yeah. They're really expensive. They're um, The retinas and the iris are also unique, but um, they're just super expensive. So the only place you're going to see those are in like high security, like expensive facilities. Well, it depends. The retina scan is extremely detailed and tough. Yeah. The iris scan supposedly is much quicker. Oh, really? And you're more likely to find those. Um, is it cheaper too? Yeah. Oh, okay. A, a little more prevalently, but still, you're not going to find that at your average Hardee's. <laughs> um, what about Carl's Jr., though? Maybe. Okay. Uh, ear scans, apparently ears are unique in size and shape and structure yeah. as well. I think they use this, too, for scanning crowds as well. Like part of facial recognition is, is oh, yeah. scan ears. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Slapdash? Scary. Okay. Uh, voice fingerprints. Um, there's an audio lab that FBI operates in Quantico, Virginia. Um, and when there are messages from supposed known terrorists, they run it through their program and it does a pretty good job. It's not like a fingerprint, but they can do a pretty good job with vocal analysis right. at this point. You could also use this if you're, like, say, um, contacting your bank in Geneva by phone. Ah. Your bank may use some sort of uh, voice print analysis right. to say, okay, you're you. Sing, well, sing well, your favorite song. <laughs> right. I wonder if they do what they do have you say. Yeah. Or do. I'm sure it's just your name, but it'd be funny if, like, they had you sing a snippet. <laughs> yeah, sure. You give love a bad name. <laughs> right. By Chuck. Uh, and then DNA, of course. Um, there was just a ruling last week in the Supreme Court. Oh, yeah? They ruled five to four that DNA swabs can now be taken uh, at the time of arrest. Oh, yeah. For serious crimes. Yeah. Um, and Wait, is that right? Yeah. So for serious crimes, I thought the whole the whole row over the this was that it was like, like they can just take them from anybody. Well, if, if like you're no, it says by a for cop. serious crimes. The whole row is the fact that it's a police officer doing it, and not a like you're not at the police station with a trained you know mm. DNA analysis. Gotcha, analyst, man, analyst. What is wrong with me today? <laughs> um, Analyst. In the, in, the, uh, <laughs> in the ruling, they said that they essentially found that it's the same thing as fingerprinting. So now cops are going to have little swab, mouth swab kits in yeah. their cars. And uh, it was a five to four ruling. It was close. Yeah, I'm sure. And it's uh, some people, you know, are up in arms about it. I'm sure. Saying it's civil rights uh, infringement. and Yeah. The end of privacy is what we're witnessing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's sad to see. Tough words. Nobody, nobody's doing anything about it. That, that NSA whistleblower. Gave up his life, basically, and everybody's like, wow. Yeah. I guess I always suspected that was going on anyway. Right. You know? So anyway, um, fingerprints. Yes. You got anything else? I got nothing else. All right. Well, if uh, you want to learn more about fingerprints, you can type that word into the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. And since I said search bar, that means it's time for message break. Yeah. Stuff you should know. Uh, now it's time for listener mail. Josh, I'm going to call this. Uh, let's let's help this uh, young lady raise some money for cancer. Okay. We don't do this a lot. We get a lot of requests, and we can't do them all. We wish we could, but Whitney spoke to me. She's been listening for years. She's a big fan. She is uh, started as an undergrad, and now she is wrapping up her second year in law school at the Ohio State University. 
Go Buckeyes. Yeah. Um, I know you like to hear about awesome charities. I wanted to share this unique one here in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, Pelotonia is a bike ride that raises money for life-saving cancer research. 100% goes uh, raised by riders goes to cancer research at the James Cancer Center at Ohio State. Um, it's special to me because my grandmother got cancer treatment at the James when she did not have health insurance, and she was proud that uh, they could use her rare case to potentially help find a cure for others. Um, Nancy passed away in 2011. Uh, she was fighting her cancer. In the course of a single day, though, at the age of 65, she began having severe dementia-like symptoms. Uh, we are not sure why. The symptoms left her unable to mentally compete with the cancer, and without her willpower and understanding um, that she had an extremely rare terminal cancer, uh, cancer to battle, her health went downhill quickly. Uh, still, her inner dignity shined through, even with a drastic drop in body weight and repeated trips to the ER. So, in memory of her uh, grandmother, she is riding uh, for charity. So she's raised $215 right now, and I think we should bump that up a little bit for yeah. our listeners. That's great, man. Uh, so, I created a little tiny URL of her page, um, http colon slash slash tinyurl.com slash mrmkx6v. So that's mrmkx6v after tinyurl.com. And that is Whitney Bronlin's uh, bike ride page. It goes down August 10th, I believe. Yeah. And uh, that'd be cool if we could raise a little extra dough for her. Yeah, everybody get you there 100%, 100% of, the, of, the, of money. the proceeds. You're, that's pretty good. So, and you know, it's one of those things where you can give like $5 if you want. Dude. So skip that latte today, I'd say, and donate to Whitney's cause. Yeah. Way to go, Chuck. Way to go, Whitney. Way to go, Whitney. And way to go, you, for donating. We're proud of you already in advance. Agreed. Uh, if you want to let us know about a charitable organization you care about, we're always down with that. We'll try to let everybody know about it in turn. Um, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash WShouldKnow. You can send us an email to StuffPodcast at Discovery.com. And you can join us at our home on the web at StuffYouShouldKnow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. This episode of Stuff You Should Know is brought to you by YouTube Geek Week. Tune in to find your channels at youtube.com slash geekweek. Woo!